0: But discomfort brings growth, and oftentimes, tragedy brings joy. So, tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes, and join me as we begin our 1,000 Tiny Steps. Hey, everybody. Art Begins here. Episode 15 of a 1,000 Tiny Steps, my podcast. Not the window in Molly's ambulance just went by. Hey, moles. And this is Episode 7 in Season 2. We are really, really marching along here. I might have introduced some of them incorrectly as the numbers go by in the seasons and episodes. I've talked about this before when you're recording a podcast. Here I am re- recording a podcast that won't play for a few weeks, and so <laughs> I don't keep track of time quite right. That's okay. It's the week after Thanksgiving now as I'm recording this heading into the Christmas season, and you know I have all these plans always of how I'm going to record episodes of A Thousand Tiny Steps, and I have this amazing editor of whom I've also spoken before. We plan, but I have a very hard time sticking to plans sometimes. And this is the story of my life. I remember when I was coaching in Concord High School years ago, and the AD athletic director wanted a specific, my whole season mapped out. And I looked at him a bit funny and said, well, I don't know what's going to happen in two weeks. I know that we'll be in this phase of training, but I really coach off instinct and hunch. And sometimes I feel like I deliver this podcast on instinct and hunch as well. And things come up that should be talked about or not. So episode 15 right now, the one that I'm doing, this is my third recording of it. And when I say third recording, I mean, I tell an entire story and then I go back and listen. And sometimes I think, okay, I really shouldn't talk about that so much, or that's not at all what I meant to say, or what am I even talking about? And sometimes when I'm in a place that's difficult, it's hard for me to do this. I have a wide angle mind and becoming a telephoto speaker is difficult for me. But a couple of things have happened in the days that I've been putting off recording this particular episode that have sort of channeled a bit how this episode will go. The last episode talked about really the first year after Molly's death, what summer was like, you know, the slow return to whatever returning to life means when you've lost your sister or your daughter or your granddaughter. And I lost talked about a lot of the other things that you lose as well. And You really lose everything. You lose all the ideas of the future you thought you were going to have nothing, nothing is unchanged in this kind of trauma. And lots of traumas are like this. We've spoken about that as well. My next episode, my next logical place to go would be how the grief continued to manifest and morph from the end of year one to now here we are five and a half years into this journey. And there's just too much information. And when I listened, when I re-listened to what I'd recorded, it wasn't even interesting to me. And it's my story. There's just so much to focus on. And so what I think I'm going to do for a couple of episodes is focus on some specific aspects of life and what that's like in grief and also with the time frame. I'm recording this episode in the next couple of episodes between Thanksgiving and Christmas. To say this is the worst time of the year <laughs> for those of us who have lost a child is an understatement. Along with nothing being the same, you know, children love holidays and holidays are rife with tradition. We've always done it this way. We did it this way last year. We'll do it again this this year. And all in you know, trinkets and ornaments and things take on all this meaning because it's the holiday season. And Molly was the queen of holidays. She loved them. She was already thinking of the next holiday before the one she was enjoying was over. And it's just how her mind worked. And she couldn't wait to have permission to plan the next holiday. And she was she was big. She helped decorate. She had input into all of it. Molly just was the the holiday queen, and each one was to be reveled and enjoyed. And then halfway through enjoying it, you had to start thinking about the next. And the pictures we have, albums of photographs, and then online albums of pictures of all the different holidays, Christmases and Easter's and Halloweens and birthdays and Fourth of July, just all Thanksgivings, all of it, just everything. You know, Valentine's Day, she loved to hand-make Valentine's. All of these things in that first year were just obliterated. And I said that before. And that was Gracie's pronouncement not long after Molly's death. Gracie's pronouncement was, that's it. You're not celebrating any holidays this year. And we didn't. I will say I have let Gracie lead our family sometimes in the way that we process the grief of losing Molly. And that's because I just felt like as a child, she kind of had the least say in everything. Molly's death decimated her. And then I just felt like the best way to help her grieve was to make sure what we were doing was the easiest for her. So heading into year two, 2017 and 2018, and then 2018 and 2019, the years two and three, we maintained the holiday exemption. We didn't celebrate anything. You know, I would always get Gracie a present for her birthday. And I've often gotten presents because, you know, I just feel like she's still a child and should be getting these things. But I know it was very, very difficult for us to to really make a big deal of holidays. So the first year we did nothing and, you know, turned off lights, hid, went for drives, whatever we needed to do to avoid the holiday. I've said before that year two is really tough. And I'm going to share a story that just happened to me the other day to really exemplify exactly what year two is like. So I visit Molly fairly often and sometimes I just drive by if I'm driving in the car with Jack and he needs to sleep. So I drove up to Molly's grave and there's a new grave behind hers, behind hers up to the left a little bit. And it's a young girl who died at age 20, I believe. She had graduated high school and she had had a lifetime of illness and she had been ill and recovered and been ill and recovered. And when I think of a thousand tiny steps in that type of scenario, every recovery gave her family confidence that the next illness would also be recoverable. Just like inching your way out on the ice. Every time you don't fall through, you get more confidence that you won't fall through. This young woman died of her illness, and I don't know what it was. I don't remember. I pull up to see Molly, and there's a car right there at Molly's grave because this girl's grave is right behind Molly. Her name is Amber. I saw on the license plate this girl's name, and I realized, oh, this must be her mom. So I said my hello to Molly, and I thought, you know, I really should say hi. So it's a freezing cold, windy day. I pulled up and rolled my window down and just waited for her to notice me. She rolled her window down. And I will say we had the most heart-wrenching conversation. And it took me right back to year two. And year two is unique because it's not far enough away from year one to feel any better. But all the numbness has gone away and most of the people have left. And not that anyone leaves you, but life goes on. And life goes on much more quickly for those not involved directly with the death. So you have the same level of hurt with no method for alleviating the pain. If any of you have ever had surgery, you wake up from an operation like I had my foot operated on, And I had a nerve block. And so I woke up and I had the medicine and the nerve block and I didn't hurt at all. You know, and 12 hours later, the nerve block is worn off and the medicine is inadequate. And I'm in writhing agony. Nothing has changed except the amount of relief I'm getting for the pain that has been constant from the first incision. And this is death. This is especially child loss. Nothing is different. So I asked her how she was doing. Knowing full well, that's the stupidest thing to ask. Are you hanging in? I'm Molly's mom. And she knew who I was. She knew Molly and knew all of Molly's story, had, you know, witnessed it, and gone through it, you know, on social media and in the news and everything. And so we just chatted for a while and she's in air too, and she could not stop the tears. They just poured from her eyes just about how unfair it was. And, you know, I just thought she'd always survive because she always did. And I still can't believe it. And holidays are terrible. And, you know, she has other children as well. You know, nothing, I could say nothing to her that was helpful. I did acknowledge that I really hated when people told me I had to be happy at the holidays. That Molly want Molly would want you to be happy. Again, if you've said that to me, I get it. You want me to be happy. That goes back to how much we all want things to be the same, and yet, the same is intolerable. And so many contradictions in the grief process. And here was this mother desperately wanting her daughter back, knowing, looking at the grave, that her daughter was never coming back. And yet, Thanksgiving was going to arrive, and Christmas was going to arrive, and none of these things were going to stop just because her sweet daughter was dead. This is our reality—not just in the holidays, but in everything, all of it: graduations and driver's licenses and first boyfriends and proms and college acceptances and marriages. Molly gets none of that. I have to watch all of Molly's friends have all of those things, and—and and, you know, I would never want Molly's friends and their families to think I resent them. I don't resent them. I resent the fact that I got chosen to lose a child. This is really the, the slap in the face for year two. You've made it through a year, firsts of everything. And, and there are a lot of people and religious practices as well. And, you know, spiritual practices that sort of, quote unquote, end your mourning period at specific times. Well, there's no end in my mourning. I will mourn until the day I die. And that's just me. So the one piece of advice I did give to this mother was to make sure she was doing what she needed, that even I can't tell her how to grieve. She has to do this herself. And she asked if we celebrated the holidays. And I said, no, actually, we haven't had a Christmas tree since since Molly's last alive Christmas. Now, those of you who are watching me, are looking at the Molly tree behind me, and that is in fact a Christmas tree that was given to us the Christmas after Molly died. And so that tree has never come down. So I don't necessarily think of it as a Christmas tree. It's the Molly bee tree. But it's as close as we get to a Christmas tree. And, you know, we go round and round. So in the years following year one, so now Gracie's entering her junior year. This was a horrifying school year for her, as I've said before, or maybe I haven't. All of Molly's friends, Molly's grade is now at Concord High School, 2017. Gracie's a junior. Molly would have been a freshman. So there's Molly's entire class in the halls, in the cafeteria, outside. Gracie has to see all these people that Molly should be with. And she has to imagine how fun it would have been to have Molly there because they hadn't been in the same school for a couple of years. And they hadn't even been in the same buildings for a while. It was just horrifying. They had looked so forward to high school together. They had plans for after high school. So entering into year two, the summer of 2017 was much quieter and much different than the summer of 2016. That summer, Gracie went to a grief camp, Camp Erin, and it was the perfect time for her to go. And that was some real practical hands-on knowledge about grief and loss and advice and camaraderie around losing somebody that you shouldn't have lost. I think that camp experience helped Gracie tremendously. The school year started, Kenny and I continued to live very, very parallel but separate lives. Gracie and I remained on the on the living room floor. I was working a teeny bit more. I was working with some special needs students at a private special ed school and very, very maybe twenty hours a week by now actually I had built up some work hours over the summer, but I was incredibly dependent upon Medication and alcohol to be okay, like horribly dependent. I can't wrap my head around putting that amount of anything into my body anymore. But at the time, it was horrifyingly necessary. In the times that I had to be clear-headed when I was teaching and when I was coaching, I was thankfully distracted by something I love, which is teaching and coaching. But the moment I could escape home and close the doors behind me, I just began the process of numbing. And I think it's because the numbness goes away. The hard reality hits that your loved one really is gone. To complicate that for us, we were in the mix of the lawsuit. And while I can't talk about specifics, I can say that there's nothing fun or pretty about a lawsuit. Both sides want to prove their point. And sadly, both sides are willing to be ugly to do it. You know, I don't mind proving my point, but I'd rather prove it on its merits and not by making the other person look bad. And I'm not a difficult person to make look bad. I live my life very openly. I was having a very difficult life leading up to Molly's death. You know, really struggling in my relationship with Kenny, struggling in my relationship with Roy, separated from Kenny. All of those things, you know, seeing Roy, not seeing Roy, seeing Roy, and then the culmination of her death coinciding with vacation. Boy, was there a lot of meat, you know, <laughs> boy, did I provide a lot of fodder for criticism. So going through that was incredibly painful. And the other piece is you're constantly reliving. We were constantly reliving when Molly was alive. The brain does amazing things, just like the human body does amazing things. You break an arm and it doesn't hurt because your body puts you into shock and sends blood and inflammation to the area to protect it. So too does your mind protect your heart. It becomes numb and sends numbness everywhere. And you sort of live in a state of disbelief for a while. Your mind is crazy busy and still. I talked about sitting for a year. I still spent a lot of time sitting. I know that my friends who are supportive really wanted me to take bigger steps than I was taking. I was doing the very best that I could. Year two brought its own set of incredible challenges, not the least of which were holidays. So in year two, we again ignored Thanksgiving and we ignored Halloween. I believe we got some Chinese food on Thanksgiving that year. But that's it. And I think I had a friend come over and visit for a little while, help me clean up a room. <laughs> I'm sitting in the room that she helped me clean up. It was not a traditional holiday. It just couldn't it couldn't be, and it wasn't. We really just tried to ignore it. We went to Florida again over Christmas. There was no big trip to Hawaii this year. There was no other getting out of town. It was just going to Florida over Christmas. Kenny was really getting sick at this time. We had to stop a lot on the drive for him to vomit. The dialysis was really hard on him. Drive straight through again, stay in a hotel in the middle of the night somewhere in North Carolina. And the weather this time around was awful. It was like monsoon winds. It was just miserable, terrible weather. In visiting Kenny's son, Davey. Those few days were terrible. I remember just lying in a in a hotel room, on a bed, watching TV. I didn't have anything to distract myself with. We're at a hotel, so you know alcohol's readily available, but it wasn't fun. Poor Gracie's in high school and she's stuck in a hotel with her mother. What well, should be Christmas? These are times that I would have incredible panic. That Christmas was just a disaster. We had some warmer weather in other parts of Florida, but it wasn't okay. We stopped with Valentine's Day, anything to do with that, and I've never been been a big fan of that holiday anyway, and we. Also, really ignored Easter. Easter is especially painful for me because it was the last holiday. And Molly would say, You know, Mom, I know how this works now. And I would talk about Santa or the Easter Bunny. And I would look at her and say, Well, you know what? Magic is real, honey. If you don't believe in it, then it won't be real. I said, If she wanted her Easter basket, Easter Bunny insisted her little Easter tree be outside her bedroom door. When I came home, and that was a week that I wasn't here in the house, I was at the apartment. But I came over to do all the Easter candy and the Easter baskets, and there were those two little plants outside their bedroom door and they remain there. They're in a bookshelf there. They stayed on the hallway in the hallway for a long time. Year two is painful and stark and holidays get no better. At least they didn't for me. I see many, many families in grief that set it all up. They recreate it. They hang a the stocking for their loved one. They do all of it to maintain consistency for the other family members. If I had children younger than Molly, if I had had more children, I would have been much more pressured to continue the holidays that way because... Not everything can change because one person's gone away. The other tricky part in as grief begins to morph and unfold is, you know, Gracie's still here. And yet I'm obsessed with Molly. And it was very difficult not to forget. Like, what about me, mommy? What about me? I'm here. And so I really did try as hard as, as I could to take care of Gracie's emotional needs. If she wanted something, I got it for her. And she didn't ask for much. It wasn't even like that. So we continue sleeping on the floor and and living our lives that way all through 2017 and into 2018. 2018 was a very, very big turning point year. This was the year that I started, I really started to understand that I needed to clean up, that I couldn't live this life. I couldn't I couldn't just stay an alcoholic and a drug addict and live in this numb. I hadn't even really started to grieve. And we were still involved in the lawsuit at that time. But I look back on it now and I have, sometimes I can get angry, both at myself and some of the people who levied their their power to influence me to do certain things or feel a certain way. People in grief are easy targets. I was an easy target. I am no victim. I am a strong human being and I made my choices. But when you don't have the ability to make a good choice, you're not going to make a good choice. And and I look back on those times and I feel that way. I was working a bit now at the school that at the special ed school that I'd been working at when, when Molly died. I was unwilling to go back to full time and I was unwilling to be considered a regular employee. I had a very hard time when I was there. It just brought up the last year of Molly's life. And some of my students were the students that were there the first year. And so that was also difficult for me. I really, I really sort of felt like I can't believe I'm here. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. The school is full of wonderful people, but it's a very, very negative and unhappy place for me to be. 2018, spring comes along. And of course, once again, we go to Disney. This is our second time. and It's equally as fun. Kenny's a bit sicker. So we often have to push him in a wheelchair because he just isn't strong enough to walk around all day. We, we end our lawsuit. We tie up all those loose ends and settle all those things. And that's when I mentioned before that my dreams about having a baby came back. So now we're at two years. It's two years since Molly's death. We're going into year three. Now her friends are older than Gracie was when Molly died. And that was another hard thing for Gracie, the fact that Molly's friends were older than her now. In terms of living the everyday life and dealing with things like holidays, for us, year three brought no relief. And I'll stick to those things for the rest of this podcast and get into some of the other deeper things later on. But years three, four, and five brought little change for us in terms of holidays. None of us really could quite wrap our head around how to be okay with holidays. I do know that as the years have gone by, people have reached out on my birthday. I've gotten cakes from friends that live a thousand miles away. I get cards. People say, happy birthday. We used to make a big deal of it though, the morning cake in the morning and all of that sort of stuff. And I just I just don't want it. I get angry. To me, it's just another birthday without her. And eventually I'm gonna have had thirteen birthdays without her. And I, you know, I project into those things. We have not given out Halloween candy. We just turn the light off. And we don't live in a super busy area for trick-or-treaters anyway, but it's just too much. I can't I can't see it. Thanksgiving has morphed a little bit. Year three, we went to a restaurant, we went to Alan's restaurant, had a delicious, delicious dinner. I and mean, it was wonderful and we all had our Molly shirts on and that family knows of us and they they oh they took such good care of us. Well, they called us the Molly Table. Delicious food, phenomenal. I had them cater Molly's sweet sixteen and it was such a good decision. A little shout out to my friends at Ellen's restaurant. So that we morphed into a little bit. Christmas that year, again, we went to Florida. Our two Christmas holidays, 2018, 2019, we could stay at a friend of mine's house. One year it was an apartment, another year they had bought a house and So it was centrally located enough that Disney wasn't too far away. And so those two, so our Christmases in Disney became, Christmases in Florida became Christmas in Disney. And this is, I think, how we decided we would do Christmas from here on out. We're annual pass holders. We totally drank the Disney Kool-Aid. So in 2018, we went to Disney. Now, keep in mind, 2018, I just found out about the brain tumors in my head. I still had long hair. Robin and I had stopped speaking to one another I had started my spiritual mentoring, so I come off all of the medication. So the only thing I was putting into my body at this time in any significant amount was alcohol. And so here we are trying to have fun at Disney when all of these things are just floating around in our heads. But we used this time to visit people that we knew. We visited some family of Kenny's and we visited his kids, his son, and we, we spent time on the beach. So this was a much better week because we had better weather and just sort of a general better setup. Going into 2019, you know, I had brain surgery. This was a wonderful distraction. But I have to say, it didn't, it really didn't take away from the devastation of how painful markings like holidays were. Holidays are very, very difficult. And they're just unique to everybody. This was Gracie's senior year. And now talk about landmarks that we're coming up on. We're coming up on graduation and where would she go to college? Would she go to college? She's making this decision alone now. She's not making it with with Molly. She had her first boyfriend and and that was actually a really wonderful distraction for her because she could just feel normal. And I do know that these were some of her happier moments in her senior year because she just felt normal. And you know, here I am bald, you know, I went to her graduation with my short, short, fuzzy head, <laughs> no hair. Very gray. gray. For us, the holiday piece has not waned too much. We went to Disney again, the year three, you know, 2019, and that was when we found out about the Hunger family and Rachel's situation and Kenny getting a kidney, you know, so many of these things, just, just, again, it's the blessings with the tragedies and Kenny's finally going to be healthy, but it comes at the price of a 21 year old never getting to turn 21 other than plugged into a, you know, a life support machine. And so these were incredibly emotional times, but some of these other things, the tumors, the hungers and being able to focus and help that family in what they were going through were incredibly healthy distractions for us. Something else to pour energy into. Sort of how the lawsuit was in the beginning. Take your grief and channel it into something positive. But holidays, do not ever tell me Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) I know I am the mother to three other children besides Molly, but there's nothing happy for me about it. And I think it's because it's so connected to the day that we unplugged Molly. It was the day before Mother's Day in that year. So those things are difficult for me. Am I happy to be a mother? Yes. But I'm not happy to celebrate Mother's Day. It just brings it all back. And... It's May, the month of May, that very typical month where, you know, April 23rd, I leave and my biggest worry is my crazy life with my relationships. And and a month later, I've just said my last goodbyes in a public way to my daughter, Molly. One month and my life completely blows up. And so along with this time of year, November and December being very difficult for me, April and May, two of my former favorite months are just painful. It's like bare feet on hot coals or bare feet on shards of glass. Every step is painful. And there's not much to do to change that. So, as we've marched along, we've done the balance with maybe increasing some of the things that we do on the holidays and trying to forget they exist. So, we get into 2019, and then now I'm pregnant. And so, in the fall of 2019, again, we don't do 4th of July either. That was always a very big, fun family pool, invite friends over, walk up to the fireworks, neighborhood kids. It's helpful because all the neighborhood kids are growing up and moving away. So, it's not Not like we're watching it happen in front of us, but that was a pretty painful holiday, and it was shortly after she died that you know we had to go through the first one a year ago from now when I'm pregnant and growing a baby in secret. So Halloween, of course, again we just didn't celebrate it. That's an easy one to avoid when you don't have trick or treating kids. Thanksgiving last year, my brother and his wife had recently returned from a long hiatus, so we had a wonderful COVID-friendly Thanksgiving in the driveway, and it was just. My brother and sister-in-law, Kathy and Ricky, and my mom and dad, Kenny and I, and Gracie. And that was it. And we just, it was a very, very, very simple. We all came in one at a time and helped ourselves to our food. We ate outside. The weather cooperated. It worked well. And it didn't feel like Thanksgiving. You know, it just didn't. Kenny cooked a turkey. That was a disaster. And, you know, it was fine. We couldn't go to Florida on Christmas. That was a really difficult realization. We wanted to go anyway. Just get in the car and drive and check into a hotel and stay there and drive home. And we just didn't. It just didn't seem like the right thing to do. Kenny's Kidney doctors at Mass General were really prohibiting about it. So last year's Christmas was our first Christmas here. And I couldn't fathom Christmas Eve and Christmas morning without Molly and what to do. <laughs> Not to disappoint, the universe sent me Molly's friend Skylar, who needed a rapid COVID test because she was going to Hawaii with her father. The closest one we could get was a three and a half hour drive up into Maine to a pharmacy in the middle of nowhere so she could get a rapid COVID test because she was leaving. So at the time, I was a bit frustrated with sweet Skylar. Like, why would you not have taken care of this? But while this was going on, Gracie was at work at the liquor store and she ate a muffin and had an unbelievably bad reaction. Her entire face swelled up. Really, really bad reaction to something in the muffin that she ate. Reminiscent of not being around when Molly's in trouble, (laughs) I'm driving home with Skylar and Gracie's at work with Scott his mother, who was her boss. So we each have each other's child. And Gracie's, you know, having a bad reaction. So we EpiPen her because, you know, that's what we do. So the EpiPen helped with a lot of her initial reactions. But what you all may not know about an EpiPen is it wears off and the reactions can come back twice as bad. So I'm driving home. It's Christmas Eve. It's dark. It's like 8, eight o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock. I just get home. Gracie's now in the emergency room. Kenny's not allowed in because Gracie's 18 and, you know, COVID restrictions. She's by herself in the ER, which is the last place she saw Molly alive. Not a great place to be. And so she's there by herself. I advocated for her to speak up and say who she was and why she was nervous about being there. They were phenomenal to her, took very good care. So she spent Christmas Eve in the ER. We spent Christmas Eve pacing around, waiting for her to go get her. So we get her and we bring her home. So I had gotten her some Christmas presents, you know, we did every year. And so I didn't have them wrapped or nothing fancy, but. We woke up in the morning and she needed to get some medicine, and there was a pharmacy open, I drove to Manchester, got her medicine, came home, and that was Christmas. So, thankfully, as much as you don't want your daughter to be in the ER with an anaphylactic reaction to anything, I had these two huge distractions that took away any significance of Christmas as Christmas. Again, you know, it's a joyful holiday, the birth of Christ, but I'm dealing with Gracie potentially being in a very bad situation and helping the friend. We made it through. We made it through. New Year's Eve as well. We've we've always managed to drive. Our Florida trips, we drive on the eves and the holidays. Traffic isn't as bad, and we can just, you don't notice what day it is when you're in a car. For us, the holidays have been a progression. Many people five years out are fully into the holidays again, meaning they they do the decorating or they play the game. They make believe. I'm not sure. You know, the birth of Jack sort of superseded everything. Valentine's Day and all of those things, you know, I, I don't even think about them. I don't even remember them. Easter, I didn't even think about Easter or any any of those things. Jack's birth was sort of the big thing. And then going into April and May, I was having a lot of just personal crisis in my life, which is a podcast season in and of itself. I had some anxiety around, you know, postpartum anxiety that was pretty intense. We went over death week and, you know, the Amsterdam week, we went to Florida, even though the judges weren't there, you know, because Disney was just open a little bit. And we did, we did a couple of days at Disney with with Jack, and we went and visited Kenny's mother and sister, and that was a beautiful visit. I mean, Kenny's mother hasn't held a baby probably in twenty years or fifteen years, and she held Kylie, her little great granddaughter. We've parceled together what we can do. In year five, Molly's fifth year anniversary of being unplugged, Jack, Jack was little, and I was admitted to the hospital, so I was in Copart Hospital on the pediatric wing, two rooms away from where Molly coded, and I have to spend a the night there. And it's May seventh. That I have to say. It was a pretty difficult night. Uh, I have this teeny baby who I know will be fine. I just feel like people would leave me alone. You know, it's funny. I, I didn't get medical attention with Molly and I was pushing it away with Jack. <laughs> you know, like I felt like it was overbearing. You know, he was too little and he wasn't gaining weight fast enough. You know, he was gaining weight, but not fast enough. And I, you know, it was just frustrating trying to nurse on demand and be stressed out and they wanted me to give in formula and all of this. And I just basically, when morning came, I refused to stay. They wanted me to stay until he gained weight. My response was, he's lost four ounces since he's been here. So clearly it's not whatever you think is happening here, isn't? And I reconnected with a nurse that had taken such good care of Molly. We cried and cried and cried and hugged and checked in. It was really, really good to see her. I hadn't seen her, you know, five years and and seven days prior was the last time I had seen her. The process of grief, holidays, days that commemorate. You know, Gracie's graduation day in 2019 was incredibly painful. I knew Molly never would. And to make that horrifying reality beautiful, she got a diploma and she gave the memory chair speech, and it was beautiful. That's something I should post on the Molly B site once that website is done. And then summer comes along, so I sort of jumped back there. But so now this past year, again, holidays for us, at least for me, you know, Gracie hasn't spoken up too much about wanting them to be wanting them to be anything bigger than they are. Last year, we did buy an artificial Christmas tree for Gracie's bedroom. We had a blast. We set it up, put the lights on. They're those annoying lights that flash and you can make them match the music i think i don't know we had a blast we got the whole thing at rite aid it was like your your rite aid family christmas and so that was really the first christmas tree that we set up as a christmas tree but again it wasn't down here in the living room and it was just sort of fun and that's where her presents were you know all along this past year we you know fourth of july we just we just stay away we don't go to the fireworks anymore yeah of course you hear them we don't do the christmas tree lighting ceremony downtown we don't do midnight merriment and all the little things that go along with the holidays. We just don't. I have no desire to be around people that either want me to be happier than I am or say, oh, it's so good to finally see you happy. Okay, I know, but that's a really hard thing for me to hear because it makes me feel like being unhappy wasn't okay. Well, my kid is dead. Of course I'm going to be unhappy. Or that I've been unhappy too long. Well, you know, she's, she was here for 13 years. So give me 13 years to stop missing her so much. That kind of reaction is how I feel on the inside again, we avoided Halloween. You know, we just, we just pull the shades and, and go watch TV or go to bed. Thanksgiving this year, we sort of ended up having two, but we all got together. My entire close family, my mom and dad, siblings, Rick, Jonathan, and Johanna, my in-laws, Lon, Lon and Kathy, Kenny, Gracie, and Jack, and Jonah. So we got together early because Kathy and Rick have moved out of state now and they weren't going to be here on the actual day of Thanksgiving. And so we had dinner on Sunday and it was so much better because it's not Thanksgiving day. We didn't have turkey, we had chicken. We didn't sit down at a table and go around and say what we're thankful for. We, you know, because of COVID and we all just picked spots in different rooms and sat down and ate. I ate outside of the porch. We just ate with our plates in our lap and all of that. And then my nephew Jonah, of course, wanted Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving day. He's a kid. He wants these things. And so we went up to his house and we had a wonderful dinner. Again, it was not a traditional Thanksgiving dinner. Lama was an amazing cook and she cooked these delicious, delicious items, veggies and meat and these cakes. And this was fun. My dad and my brother, my brothers and Kenny all played this virtual. You put this, this thing on your head and it's like you're looking at a golf course and they're all golfing in the living room. Jonah and Johanna and My mother and Lama and I all played with the baby. Jack-Jack had a blast. It didn't feel like Thanksgiving. And so we've made it through. And so here I am now. It is November 29th. The next holiday is Christmas. The sixth Christmas show without Molly. And that's not really super easy to deal with. Gracie is Mother Ginger once again. Molly and Gracie always had their picture taken with Santa. In the years since, Gracie's had it either with me or alone or with some of her dance friends. Or her little sisters that she was mentoring in the dance program. So this year we have baby Jack and adorable little outfits and Gracie cannot wait to have her picture taken with Santa and baby Jack. <laughs> this does not upset me as much as I thought it might. And I think it's because we've gone through so many Santa pictures without Molly, that it's not like an instant thing, but I wonder what Santa will think, you know, with very grown-up Gracie, the first time she sat on his lap in that dance show, five little, really little. And Molly was three. That will be different. And this is the first year that Gracie has sort of thought, you know, maybe we should get a Christmas tree. Well, we have Jack to think about. Now, going around and around with Jack, you know, so many people have opinions on having a baby at my age, and children only know what they know. And so if Jack knows Christmas as a trip to Florida and visiting Disney and Santa finds him there, or Santa brings his presents and he gets them when he comes home, then he's never going to be unhappy. He might not like that it's different, but he's never going to feel like he's missing out on something because he only knows what he knows. At least that's what I'm hoping. So do we get a Christmas tree? I'm going to be very honest and tell my family I'm not ready. Certainly can't dig out Christmas ornaments that mean a lot to me and have memories attached. I have unbelievably beautiful decorations. Molly Gracie, Molly Gracie. I bought some beautiful, these glass Christmas trees I bought in Marblehead, Mass one year. They're gorgeous. I don't know that I could even look at them. It would just wreck me. These beautiful snow globes and ornaments that were made for them. I don't think I could look at them right now without just bursting into tears. And isn't Christmas supposed to make us happy? In sort of wrapping up this podcast, I know it isn't substantive on one particular thing. But I think what's important to know, the overriding message in this one, is that for those of you looking out, looking in from the outside, for those of you looking in at my grief. You can't know what it's like, even if you come sit with me in it, all you can do is sit with me in it, which is the best thing. But you can't know what it's like until you've lost a child. And even then, I sit with other mothers who have lost children, and we know the gut-wrenching pain, and we know the paralyzing devastation, and we know the impossible darkness that life holds for us. We don't know the details of each other's grief. Some people really get lost in the activities and the routine of the holidays. Other people like me, just put them away and forget about them. I do know that regardless of the choice, these are the hardest times for people in grief. And when I sat talking to sweet Amber's mother next to Molly's grave in the cemetery the other day, she was just a mess. She has to go through these holidays. You just wanna get through them. And of course, Northeast United States here in New England, all you have after Christmas are cold, dark days. (laughs) It's winter and it can be very, very difficult. As the years go along, year three, year four, year five, certain things got better in the sense that they were easier to carry. Grief is something that you never put down. I liken it to a blanket sometimes. Sometimes grief is a wet, smelly, disgusting, somebody threw up on it, a dog went to the bathroom on it, it fell in a river, and you have to carry it around all day and you trip on it and it gets you wet and it smells bad. In other days, it is a perfectly washed, zipped, Folded, rolled up, tied with a little handle, sleeping bag that you can carry around with you easily. You can link it on your arm, you can carry it in your hand, you can carry it as a backpack. But what you see here is you're never not carrying it. I will never not carry Molly's death with me. It's an impossible task. I'm hoping that it, what I have to carry around with me externally lessens over time and diminishes. And I think that it has. It's not something I have the ability to put down. Molly was here. Made her, I grew her, I birthed her, I raised her. Nothing that can change any of those. Holidays are a tricky season. It's the holiday season right now. If any of you listening have friends that have lost children or lost a parent suddenly or children who have lost a parent suddenly or just traumatic events, you know, your best friend lost three horses in three months time. Your other friend lost a dog for 15 years. As much as you want them to feel happiness and to to grieve and recover from their sadness, It has to be their choice. It has to be the person who's suffering the loss chooses and navigates and walks the path of healing. And it can't be forced or judged or suggested upon. Everybody has ideas on how it should be. I know for me, I've said before, I can't stand being told that Molly would want me to be happy. I know she wants me to be happy. One more way I'm failing because I'm not happy. That's how I feel sometimes when I hear those things. I shake it off and I do the best I can. I put my grief in my pocket when I need to, you know, and I appreciate the gesture and we all do. I know that even if I said all the wrong things, Amber's mother appreciated the fact that I stopped talking because someone else gets it. Even when the words are wrong, they're better than no words. I can remember early on after Molly died, I was on Main Street and a woman I know, we made eye contact. And she stopped in her tracks and like ducked into a store and it was horrifying. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, she would rather ignore me than say the wrong thing. I can't judge that. I guess if that's what you need to do to be okay, then that's fine. The years have gone by and, and my, my regrets and sadness and heartbreak over Amsterdam and Roy and that friendship. lessen and magnify, lessen and magnify. You know, I have triggers and reminders of those things too. We check on each other once in a while and sometimes that goes fine and everything is okay. And other times it's a giant disaster. But again, if there was ever a trauma-bonded relationship, it would be ours, from my future podcast episodes around my job loss and his involvement there to a lot of the trauma that he has suffered in his life, and then our shared trauma of Molly and how we couldn't resolve so much of what was unresolved at the time. And I think that's what I mean sometimes when I talk about, you know, I've lost Christmas and all holidays as they used to be, as I've always known them. I have them you know there are those that could say i could jump in and have a big giant christmas well except no i can't because i'm not capable of that right now i've lost what i've always known whatever my holidays are from here on out don't include molly and that's just a hard reality but i've lost i lost so many things you know kenny and i have have lost you know we had so much to work on at the time of molly's death and were we going to continue as a couple living together We parent together beautifully. That's something we do well. And we've done well with Gracie, I think, in the wake of Molly's death. But we never coped with or dealt with any of the struggles. That's another thing that child loss or trauma brings, is it doesn't erase any of the bad that's going on in your life. Things get put on hold, like my college loan was deferred, but I still owe the money on the college loan. I didn't have to think about it for a while, and now it's back. And I think that's how how so much of everyday life and struggles and ups and downs are when it comes to child loss. So I'll end here on November 29th, 2021, with Christmas looming, knowing that we will once again travel to Florida, we will once again go to Disney, we will once again visit family and try to have a good time. We will likely once again be someplace neutral, Christmas and New Year's. As Jack grows, now I'm the parent to a child, gives me a chance to perhaps reinvent holidays, my fear going into that is I'm going to create some other set of traditions. I, I worry at every turn that something will happen and I'll have horrifying trauma yet again. I'm not the most uplifting podcast, but I'm honesty is painful sometimes, you know, and, and I have incredible sadness. I have divisiveness in Kenny's family, two of his three kids and a lot of his ex-wife's family just don't understand us. And, you know, I, I can't be responsible for that. They don't have to understand me, but that's a day-to-day reality in my life. And how do I navigate that with Jack? These are family relatives, his brother and his sister that he has yet to meet. That's a reality for me right now. I just look at all of these inconsistencies and sadnesses. Molly's death doesn't take any of that away. It all just exists. Those of you that have someone like me in your life, please don't tell me to be happy. Just tell me to do the best I can. Tell me you care for me and ask if there's something you can do. Because I have also learned in my grief, I don't say no. And if there is something you can do, I'll ask you to do it. Let me know if there's something I can do for you. I think the best Christmas gifts I, Barbara Higgins, could get would be the willingness of people to say, hey, I'm really sad. Here's what happened to me. What do you think? Or how did you cope with this? Because sometimes the only way I feel okay is if I'm helping others. It's one of the things I love most about the clothing drive is it raises money for Molly. People don't have to donate money. They just donate clothes. And it supports a company that Gives money to epilepsy, the Epilepsy Foundation, and two of Molly's good friends suffer from epilepsy. I'm happy loading bags of clothes into a truck on a freezing cold day. I was happy at that time because I was purposeful. So as always, think of ways you can do something kind for somebody. We just started putting together the Molly basket. We do a Molly B basket, which is a Vera Bradley bag full of things that Molly liked. And we raffle it off at the Christmas show. This year, the proceeds are going to go to a scholarship, a new scholarship at Concordance Academy. Given in honor of Mrs. Peterson, who passed away recently, I can think of nothing better than to raise money for a woman who was off, awfully good to Molly. Mrs. Peterson was one of those people that made everybody feel better. When Molly was struggling, she picked right up on it. Her daughter Anna was Gracie and Molly's duo choreographer and Rachel and Allison's duo teacher, too. So this is a special basket. There'll be lots of things. Again, here I am in stores listening to Christmas carols that just aggravate me, and so many of them trigger memories that were once wonderful. But I'm putting together a basket that will bring somebody great joy. It makes me feel better. That's my way of living by Molly's quote and ensuring that I'm making people happy. So I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. I'm not going to do Christmas switches yet, because this episode will come out still a few weeks before Christmas. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at Barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www1000 steps.com.